Welcome to Share the Love Stories with me, the Reverend Amelia Arthur. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Lynn Pace. He's the chaplain at Oxford College of Emory University in Oxford, Georgia. He's also an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church, and I've had the privilege of knowing him and calling him friend since college. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks, Amelia. It's great to be here. So um, you are coming to us from campus um, in Oxford. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, yeah, I'm actually in the office today, which is uh, not always a given these days during the pandemic. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So um, will you just tell us um, a little bit about uh, just what what has it been like to uh, be the chaplain at Oxford? Tell us about Oxford and your time there. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm a, as you said, I'm an ordained United Methodist minister. So I I thought I was going to be doing church work, um, but I'm really glad I'm doing college work um, and have been doing it for almost 20 years now, starting out at Wofford College, where we knew each other um, in South Carolina and um, been at Oxford since 2009. So I'm in my 12th year this year. Um, so this is the longest I've ever been somewhere in a professional capacity. Um, and it really feels like home. It's such a great community. Um, the campus here is the original campus of Emory University. So this is where Georgia Methodists way back in 1836 um, um, discovered this sort of college to be a place for um, uh, learning, but also uh, religious you know, education. Um, back in the day, they would have trained a lot of clergy. Uh, that right. happens a lot less now than it used to. <laughs> um, but um, we're a liberal arts campus of Emory University. And of course, Emory moved to Atlanta back in the early 1900s. Um, but they kept this Oxford campus. So we're about 36 miles east of Atlanta. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a two-year campus, first and second year students only, intensive liberal arts um, it's a very diverse campus, which is one of the things that drew me here so many years ago um, now to be the chaplain. We, um, we just have a, the, we sort of have the world here, both in terms of our religious diversity, but diversity overall. Um, and uh, yeah, so my work is standing in my Christian identity and acknowledging that and, and sort of living out and leading from that place, but embracing everyone whether they come from a faith or a religious or spiritual tradition or not. Um, we work a lot with Jewish students and Hindu students and Buddhist students and Muslim students alongside Christian. And then those again, who would report none, you know, which means right. a lot of, lot of things. Right. Spiritual, but not religious. Yes. And the like. One of those things too. Yeah. Um, and so you came from, uh, from Wofford, right. Yes. To to Oxford. And so I would imagine, like you just described the campus, just culture and environment has to be pretty different. Um, what, what did you have to learn or how, you know, just like, what have you learned, I guess, over, over that time about both, I love the way you said that standing in your Christian identity um, and just all of who you are. Uh, what did you learn or what did you have to learn in terms of being able to be the chaplain for that diverse a group of people? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Wofford has transitioned into some of its own diversity now, but it you know, was less diverse than it is now 12 years ago. So it was a, a difference. And yet what drew me, but I had been a student at Emory 
in the early 2000s and worked a lot with a, a university chaplain then, my friend Susan Henry Crow. And so I, I got a chance to really watch her do this work um, back then in 2000, 2001, 2002, um, especially during 9-11. I saw her do this work during that time, which was such a um, unique and, and intense experience in its own right, of course, uh, and the aftermath right. of that. Um, but yeah, coming here in my, my own way, I mean, in some ways I had to, um, I had to think a lot about my own tradition. I had mm. to think about the things that really form me and inform me about my own tradition so that I was clear on, on who I am and where my values are. Um, and at the same time, uh, I read a good bit about other faith traditions, knowing who I was coming and being a part of. I did that in preparation for the interview and also as I got here in my first year. Um, but then as I do most things, it's really just, I mean, I think on the ground learning is the way we do so much. And, um, right. you know, that's certainly what's been true in this year of 2020. We didn't, <laughs> there was no playbook um, for this. Right. And as one colleague of mine says, um, we are literally building the airplane while we're flying it. <laughs> I mean, that's so true um, about what we've done. And I, you know, I think that's true in, in life and in ministry for sure. Um, and it was true of those first couple of years. I spent a lot of time listening. Um, I spent a lot of time learning from students because you can read all you want in a book, but until the Jewish students and the Hindu students and the, you know, all of them are doing their um, weekly practices as well as their um, episodic holy and holiday practices and traditions, you know, going to those things, listening to how they talk about them one-on-one -on -one conversations in, in with students of learning from them about their tradition. I mean, that's really the way I've learned so much over the years. And of course, like in my own tradition, people, one person doesn't represent Judaism or Islam, right. you know, so you, you learn such new things every time you speak to someone else in that tradition. Um, and so that's when the book knowledge comes in to give you a base, but then you get all the nuance from, from people. And that's, I think that's what we, experience in our own Christian tradition too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like lots of time to appreciate difference and to yeah. build on, I think the lots of common ground, right. That exists across religious and, you know, faith traditions. Yeah. I will. I'll just add, if it's okay to add um, onto that, the part that's the most interesting and maybe the most challenging are the students who check a box that say that says none um, mm -hmm. and I will clarify that that's not n-u-n but n-o-n-e <laughs> I right. had someone ask me one time what do you mean there are a lot of nuns at your campus and I was like <laughs> nope <laughs> no there are a lot of, of students who don't want to tell you or don't know didn't come from a tradition and now they're exploring I mean that category means a whole lot um, and that's the most, I think, interesting and challenging is trying to figure out how do you, how, how do you be a chaplain? How are you a chaplain to mm. those students? Um, and how do you, how do you even show up and know, because there are just so many nowadays, not on our campus, but across the country. Um, and that's been where we're trending. But, and for me, it's been showing, it's been collaborating with a lot of my campus life colleagues, faculty colleagues to do programming together so that so that you become, you become a known entity, you become somebody people can trust, you're safe, you know, and so. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess I actually wonder just if you think back to kind of your first, second year up until now, I mean, demographically, that group of, of young people has gotten bigger over, certainly over our lifetimes, definitely, I think over the last 12 years, have you noticed that trend being consistent for, for Oxford that more and more people each year kind of fall into that category? Yeah, definitely. Although I'll say, I think our, our other numbers have stayed pretty consistent too. Okay. Um, I haven't seen huge shifts in the number of Catholic students, which is a, a significant portion of our Christian population here. Oh. But I, and I haven't seen a lot of differences in our Muslim or Jewish numbers. Our Jewish numbers are upticking some and, and, and they're okay. becoming much more active. Um, but, but I've definitely seen an increase in um, the numbers of, of students telling us that, that, you know, or not telling us, I guess, would be the better way to say that, right. of sort of where they fall. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been really important to help people understand that a lot of people, when I go talk in churches in the area, you have to remember we're in the American South down here, um, that, you know, when I go talk to people who are um, uh, asking me questions about the college, and especially uh, some of our alums have asked me before, you know, it's not the same place when they were here. And that's never, that's always the case, right? It's never the same right. place. But a lot of times they can be talking about the religious dynamics that have changed. Um, and they mm -hmm. get really nervous about the nun category. And I, I say, you know, that, that doesn't mean people don't care or don't have something that they're interested in. Um, it's a really wide open category and it means lots of different things. And that's the most fun part to me is it, it means so many things. There's so much potential for where, where people can go and land. Right. Their, you know. Yeah. I would, I would imagine too, and not in the, in, in kind of the way that we could use a term evangelical as like a negative, right. Not in that way. Right. But just as I, I could imagine it being a really beautiful thing to get to know students and help them you know, maybe start to realize that they are spiritual beings and just what does that mean to them and how does that manifest? That's got to be, that's got to be really cool, you know? It really is. And that's, that's the thing, right? It's, it's not for me. And I know it, it is for some people and that's, that's, that's a difference. But for me, it's, it's not about evangelizing. It's, it's really about, you know, helping people discover, and this is so liberal arts, the fact that every human being makes meaning out of their life. Right. And why is it important to pay attention to that and to know what helps you make meaning? I mean, that's the, and that's, yeah. again, I think that's the purpose of liberal arts education. So, right. um, so it's exciting to be the chaplain and to be the person designated to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to oh yeah. No, it sounds incredible. So I know you probably have just so many stories that you could tell about what let's call your time as a chaplain before COVID, because <laughs> uh, we'll get to kind of post March of 2020. Yeah. Uh, but but prior to that, you know, what are what are some stories or what are some ways in which you saw kind of love show up in your context as 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 a chaplain at Oxford? Yeah. So many stories. Um, and sometimes it's hard to remember that there was a pre-COVID, but there was, and there was a lot of it, actually. Right. Let me, um, let me take you back to a world that used to exist. Yes. Um, 
there's pre-COVID, COVID, and then there'll be some post-COVID world that we don't know yet that we'll be building again, I think, um, mm-hmm. which is also kind of exciting, I think, um, in its own right. Yeah, I, you know, lots of stories that I could tell about sort of interfaith understanding and cooperation, um, you know, the light bulbs going on with students in certain mm-hmm. ways that just sort of make your day. Um, the one that really um, stands out, and, and this is an unfortunate thing to, to have to talk about, but we've had, we've had a number of student deaths over the course of the last 12 years. Um, and some, some really tragic, I mean, all student death is tragic because it's so untimely. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and death is hard no matter what, but when it's an 18, 19 year old, which is who we have here at Oxford, um, it's just not the way the order of things are supposed to, is supposed to work. So um, my first year, we had two student deaths and the very first one, and again, this was my very first year as the chaplain, the main person in charge, I guess, of, of, of that role. Um, it was about six months in, it was in December of 2009, and we had a student uh, involved in Atlanta in a pedestrian traffic accident, a pedestrian car oh, okay. accident. And the student um, really died not long after being hit by a car. And, um, you know, I had walked into the hospital about the same time the mother arrived from their eight hour trip. And oh, wow. I, I, I'll never forget that. That was um, painful for me and can't even describe what it was like for her. And now I'm a parent, so I can, I can begin to get a sense of what it must've been like um, because I can, I can feel it in my own sort of bones. Um, And that's been the hardest thing about student death since having a child is is that part of, Oh my gosh. Um, But uh, this was, it was right before finals so it was a pretty heavy time for students to be dealing with this. And we had a vigil and had just hundreds of students show up to, to sort of process or figure out how what, what was going on here. Um, we had a memorial service on campus about a week later before everyone went home for the break. And, we ha- and then I attended a funeral in, for her in North Carolina where she was from. In the midst of all that, uh, of course, it was finals, so students are still, you know, the campus, it's holiday time, so the campus, it's this weird mix of people being anxious for finals and excited for a break, and people who love holidays excited for that, and and just this deep sadness. Wow, um, yeah, that, what a it, contrast. It was, yeah, it was surreal in a lot of ways. Um, you know, everything you've been taught as a pastor about death and dealing with it. Some of it works and a lot of it goes out the window and you, again, you, you learn when you're on the ground doing it, you know? And so, um, uh, I was in our dining hall and at the time we were in a, we're in a new dining hall now, but it was a, our old dining hall was, you know, one dining hall, huge, everybody's in there at the same time almost. And it was loud. Um, we had a panini station and it was a popular spot. So that's where I was getting my panini. Um, and a staff member came up, knew that I was the chaplain, knew that I'd been dealing with this 
student death and that I had been in, in touch with the family. Mm-hmm. And she kept trying to tell me something in the midst of all this. And um, there was just this awkwardness that I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I didn't know her real, really well because I've only been there six months. But she knew me and, and um, she clearly was starting to trust me because she, she was trying to tell me something. And she had some tears in her eyes. And she finally blurted out this story about her own child who 10 years earlier had been killed in a car accident. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, you know, it's, you just, you kind of have to pause, right? Um, and I, I can remember, and this is not just dramatic effect telling the story, right? I mean, I can, or I feel like I can remember that loud cafeteria all of a sudden being silent. I mean, just in, you know, crazy quiet. And it's just the two of us. And she's telling me about this and the fact that, that it's almost the anniversary of that, that child's de- death, um, you know, and how they go to the grave every year at this time. Um, and she, she finished her story. And when she was done, she was done. She grabbed my hand and she opened it up and she put this piece of paper in it. And she said, please let the mother know that when she's ready, I'm here. And I was like, okay. And she just walked away. Now she uh, and I had lots of encounters later on. And I tried my best every year to remember at that time of the year to reach out to her to say, you know, I know this is a hard time for you. I'm just thinking about you. But what she had on that piece of paper was uh, priceless because it was her name and her phone number and her email. And what she had said was basically, you know, when this mother is ready, Mm. help her know that she is not alone. Yeah. Uh, It makes me tear up. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say that. Um, (laughs) I mean, you just told me this story before we started recording and I'm getting teary. Yeah. Um, Wow. What a gift. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, I guess that's the, you know, love is such a gift. <laughs> and and her gift was tremendous. I'm not sure if that mother ever contacted her, but just for that mother to know, right. um, it was almost like this, this staff member was saying, you know, there's kind of a club for this and not everybody's going to get it. And, and I, I get it. And you're going to need some other people to get you through this. Um, and that's love, you know? I mean, that, that's yeah. just, that's really all that is, um, that she could, you know, that she could be in a place to do that and to offer that. As painful as I'm sure that could be, um, as, a, as much of a sacrifice as that might be. Um, but again, I think that's, that's one really clear example to me of love. Um, and a love story. Um, and again, you know, as I said to you before, this is a, for me, this is a real resurrection story in my own tradition, because in the middle of all this death that, that, that we were in, in that moment and all that goes along with it, there's this, this sort of springing up of resurrection, even though it, it'll be, a, it would be a long time before, and you know, if ever the mother could live sort of normally again, without her youngest child present, still, it's just sort of this sign of hope. Um, right. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a story that's carried me through 
12 years. Um, and it, it, you know, it happened this time of year, actually, this, this could be the day 10, you know, 12 years ago that it actually took place or 11 years ago. Um, because it was, it was right around this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's just so beautiful to imagine a, a stranger, right. Hearing about this thing that's happened and sort of knowing, Hey, my unique giftedness here is that I can offer this other parent a, Hey, you're not alone. And when you're ready, if you want it, you know, I'm a person you don't have to be alone with, you know, I mean, that's yeah. just, gosh, how beautiful. Yeah. Um, do you still see that the woman who was on staff? I mean, do you ever still see her around or? Yeah, she, she actually just retired recently. Okay. Um, and so I haven't seen her. I think, uh, not, well, she just retired right before the pandemic. She'd retired in February. Um, just, <laughs> just in time, I guess. <laughs> um, and, um, so I haven't, but you know, you're making me think it would be great to reach out to her now. So, um, mm. especially this, again, this time of year when it's her own the anniversary of her own uh, child's death. Um, but definitely saw her year after year, you know, um, yeah. after that. Well, and what a gift to, I'm sure then that you were in terms of taking that time to reach out to her every year to say, Hey, I know, I know this is a hard time. I'm thinking about you. You know, I mean, I think that's the other beauty of kind of, you know, gift, the, the gift of that kind of love is that then it doesn't end, right. It's not, it doesn't just end with that woman's gesture to the, to the mother, but then, you know, the cycle continues. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, as a minister, you know, it's, it's good to, I mean, it's a way you connect with people to remember those kinds of things mm -hmm. and, and to be pastoral. So it's part of our job, but, but she also, I mean, she trusted me to tell right. me that story, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, it's, you know, how do I, how do I respond to that? How do I take that, that trust and gift? Um, and part of that, again, sharing that with the other mother, but also, responding pastorally to, to this person and, sure. and with love, you know? Yeah. You know, it's so, so interesting that that is one of the stories you tell. I don't know if it's just that it's around the holidays or what, but I, um, I read this column in the Washington post every day and, and it's, uh, just kind of like one of those advice columns. Um, but anyway, so a lot of people this time of year are writing and asking about, you know, how do you reach out to people for whom, you know, the holidays would be hard because they've had some loss, uh, you know, and I just think that your response to the continued care for the woman on staff at, at Oxford is just totally what I want to say is like, that's the right example, right? Because when somebody's lost someone, that thought is never absent from them, right? I mean, nobody is forgetting that they lost a child. And so you reaching out or, you know, I guess this is public service announcement, right? <laughs> like reaching out to someone who's grieving, particularly around the holidays is like, you're never gonna be reminding people of something they are not already thinking about. And just for people to know they're not alone yeah. is I think such an incredible gift Particularly, I mean, and, and, and even if that's all it is, right? Just say, hey, wanted you to know I'm thinking about you. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think about how 
even particularly this year with COVID, so many people aren't going to be able to be with their families. And so many people will be alone for all of these various reasons, sort of whether or not they're grieving. And so it just, I don't know, I think it makes me think, you know, what an opportunity to kind of reach out to folks who we know, you know, might, might just need to know that they're not alone and they're cared for. Yeah, absolutely. And with, and with so much loss around COVID and in other, you know, again, I know we'll probably hit on this, but with racial injustices that we've seen and the loss of life there, not just COVID, right? And so, right. And, and other losses. Um, yeah, the reaching out. Uh, yeah. Really important. Definitely. Well, that wraps up this episode of Share the Love Stories podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you join me as we continue to journey together, as we tell our stories and share our stories of love, because love is the foundation of all that we do. Until you join me again, I hope you take care and I hope you keep sharing the love. I'm the Reverend Amelia Arthur. Thanks for being with us on Share the Love Stories podcast, recorded at home in St. Paul, Minnesota.